0: Every Advent season, every Christmas, we we take a few minutes in one of the sermons to to lay our top five. We've talked about our top five movies multiple times. Uh, We've talked about our top five Christmas carols. And today, I want to talk about uh, an important subject for us this morning. I want to talk about uh, probably one of the best top fives out there that you need to know. uh, And that is the top five Christmas cookies. Okay, and I've been thinking about this a lot. Like I spent a lot of time parsing through the various Christmas cookie options out there. And I'm going to start with number five and work my way to number one. And yes, I am hoping to manipulate your hearts into making me cookies. I'm very clear about that, okay? So, uh, number five is the peanut butter cup cookies. Anybody like these cookies? Pretty good, right? It's a sugar overload, but they're pretty good. Okay, so this is my number five. I mean, if you happen to make 12 of these and give them to me before Christmas, I will eat them. Okay? Uh, The fourth one, new to my list, is the hot chocolate cookies. Uh, Yeah, so it's basically, um, it's got um, marshmallows, and it's got chocolate pieces, and it's a pretty good cookie. Anybody ever had one of these? Some people also uh, would say these are like, you know, s'mores cookies, basically the same thing. Number three, a three is a good cookie, the Peanut Butter Blossom Cookie. Any fans of this one? A few of you in here, okay, yeah, they're pretty good cookies as well. I can eat about 24 of these in one sitting, okay, has happened before. Uh, my number two is just the classic Frosted Sugar Cookies. These are good, yeah, how many of you like these? Is this your, yeah, a few of you do, okay. So now is the important, this is the moment we've all been waiting for. Number one, the number one Christmas cookie, in my opinion, is the chocolate crinkle cookie. Do we have any other fans in the room? Yeah? I My mom, when I was growing up, she would make these, and I would eat all of them. Like, it is my favorite cookie of all cookies. And when I got married, it's the last time I had one was before I was married. Um, except for when we go home to visit my mom. So, it's a sad life. Sad, sad life. Anyway, uh, I want to talk a little bit this morning about... Um, you know, Jesus and, and Advent season is reminding us of the coming and the future coming. Um, we're talking about these things in light of the Christmas season. But I want to just encourage you to take a postcard before you leave today and invite somebody to one of our two Christmas services. And the reason why I want to do that is because of this. We are we're committed as a church community to telling your friends and your family about Jesus on Christmas Eve. And so if you're looking for a way for your friends to hear about Jesus and what Jesus has done, we would love to encourage you to invite your friends. Um, We're also going to be having coffee and hot chocolate and cookies that evening, so it's going to be a really fun gathering. And then something that I've long believed about inviting people to church is that people are always one invitation away from encountering God. And I can tell you stories after story after story of people who have invited somebody the church, and they came for the first time, and they came and they got to actually experience God's presence in a unique and significant way. So that would be a couple of reasons why I think we should, should do that. So grab some postcards when you leave, and even right now, be thinking about someone that you would like to invite to join us. Now, we're going to be continuing our sermon series today, uh, which we started last week. We're calling it The Wonder. And last week, we looked at Isaiah chapter 9, and we, and we saw how Jesus is given these prophetic descriptions, these descriptive words um, that are, are ascribed to him. He's con- he's called the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the father of eternity, uh, the prince of peace. And what's interesting is that in the Hebrew, each one of those words that are used there are not adjectives, but are nouns. And that's why we said rather than saying wonderful, we should say the wonder. That's actually a more accurate translation. This morning, I want to read one of my favorite um, passages that I would consider a Christmas text. And this is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. So let's read this together. Paul writes these words. He says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. And was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so, Father, I pray now that as we spend some time, uh, a few minutes here thinking about how this um, teaches us about the birth of Jesus, that as we think about these things, Lord, you also help us to think about how it applies to our lives and how this text, um, this, this passage of Scripture is supposed to encourage us to live and to put our faith into action. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I love this passage of scripture, and it is—it is a Christmas passage. It's—it's it's about the birth of Jesus. It's about the incarnation, and the incarnation might be a word that you have heard a million times, or might be a word that's new to you. But it, its a theological word that has to do with the idea of God becoming flesh, God becoming a human being, He incarnated Himself. And so we have in this passage this this uh, basically it's a hymn too. It's really fascinating is that in the Greek which is the original language that this was written in, Paul is more than likely writing an early church hymn, and and it's a hymn that teaches about who Jesus is. It helps us understand who he is, and it also fleshes out, out a little bit about his attributes and his characteristics. And so we have in this, I think, a really clear explanation of the characteristics of Jesus, the characteristics of Jesus You know, it's interesting when you think about the mystery that unfolds over the course of the Gospels. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You have these four different Gospels that that are telling the story of who? Jesus, right? They're telling us the story of Jesus. You have Matthew's perspective, and and you have Mark's perspective, and you have Luke's perspective, and then you have John's perspective. And each one of the Gospel writers is, is not contradicting each other... What they're doing is they're telling the story of Jesus from their perspective or from their own research. In the case of Luke, Luke did a ton of research trying to put together the book of Luke, um, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And he does that and he researches and he investigates. And and then you also have John who's kind of fleshing out who Jesus is um, years later after Matthew, Mark and Luke were written. But each one of the gospel writers has an intention. They have a a purpose for writing their gospels to tell the story of Jesus. And so what's really interesting is that over the course of the gospels, there's this mystery that I think unfolds amongst the disciples, who then become the apostles later on. But it's like they're trying to figure out who Jesus is, right? And I think for many people, that's really the question of the hour, is trying to figure out who Jesus is. And so over the course of the Gospels, you have each of the disciples coming to terms with who Jesus is. And as time goes on, they see Jesus perform miracles. They see Jesus speak with authority. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, I love how Luke notes that when Jesus would speak, he speaks with authority so much so that the people recognize it and they see him as speaking differently than everybody else. And so over the course of the Gospels, this mystery that unfolds is who Jesus is. Who is Jesus is the question that is asked time and time again. And as we see in the Gospels, the mystery that unfolds is that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God in the flesh. That is what we we read in the Gospels. And, and this gets fleshed out a little bit more in the in the rest of the New Testament. So, Your New Testament is broken up into different types of of writings, right? We have the Gospels, which are essentially stories or historical writings that that tell us the story of, of who Jesus is, what Jesus taught, what Jesus did. And then you have these things called letters or epistles. And the epistles that are written by Paul and Peter and John are letters written by these men who were called by God to be empowered by the spirit to teach about who Jesus was. And so we have this, this mystery unfolding throughout the New Testament that Jesus is both fully God and fully human. And that's a great mystery, isn't it? It is, it is a, a wonder that we, we have come to see taught in the New Testament. And I just want to point this out really quickly because in the early church, this was a big question that the church was wrestling with like how to understand who Jesus is. Because you see in one passage of scripture where Jesus is a human being and he, he's able to have emotions just like you and I. And, and in another passage, he seems to have uh, qualities and characteristics that are divine. And so the early church was wrestling with how do we understand who Jesus is? And as the early church wrestled with the teachings of scripture, they came to understand that God is both fully God and fully human. Jesus is fully God and fully human. And so I love this passage because in many ways, Philippians 2 helps us understand the nature of Christ's divinity and humanity. In this passage, we have this idea of Jesus giving up his divine privileges. Did you see that in in verse 7? It says that though he was God, he gave up, he emptied himself of his divine privileges. And so this helps us understand the type of, of God that he, he is. And I think that's important because um, I, I've been watching Marvel movies and, you know, um, Thor is one of my favorites. Any Thor fans in the room? Who you are. Okay. And so as we're watching these, these movies, you'll notice that there's all these like gods and demigods. Right. And it's interesting because as I'm watching these movies, I can't help but point out. That the gods of the comic book world are absolutely terrible gods. They're like selfish. They're, they're like, they get mad about the craziest things. They're like teenagers. Right? I've, like, there's just a lot of like, man, just what is going on here? And if you're a teenager, by the way, I was talking about other teenagers, not you, okay? Just want to be very clear there. But what's, what's fascinating is that there's all these different, different gods in the, in the Marvel universe and in the comic book world, or even in ancient Greco-Roman culture. And yet what we see is that they're super, super immature, and they're driven by their passions and desires, and, and their characteristics are, I think, anything less than what we would want to emulate. And then we have Jesus. And Jesus teaches us something different, I think. So the type of God that Jesus exemplifies is significant for us, especially in this season. And so I want to talk about the characteristics of Jesus for a few minutes. And there's two characteristics that Paul seems to flesh out in Philippians 2 that are really important for us as a church. And the first one is this, humility. He's humble. That's the whole point that Paul is making here is he's saying, though Jesus was God, though he was God, he gave up all of the privileges of being divine, and he became a human being. And I've thought about this for a long time, about like if I was, you know, in charge of my own, like, birth, and in my own circumstances that would bring me into the world, and I thought about probably how you would, but If we're honest, if we were going to choose the way we would come into the world, would you not choose to be born into, like, the Kardashian environment? No? I would totally. I'd be like, I want to be born rich. So if you're telling me you don't believe that, you're a liar, okay? But, like, we would choose to be influential. We would choose to have lots of money, right? We would just choose to have all the comforts of society. I mean, like, I'm pretty positive that most of us us would be born and we would be served. Like, I've, I've thought I would like to be sitting there as a child with somebody fanning me with a palm tree, feeding me grapes. Okay? I mean, that's generally how we think as human beings. We would not choose to be born in the first century in a peasant culture. We would not be choosing to not have air conditioning or heat. Are you with me? Like we would not do these things. So how we would choose to be born would probably be quite different than the way that Jesus chose to be born. And so his birth demonstrates a level of humility that I think we need to choose from. Jesus chooses to be born in ancient Israel under Roman oppression as a normal human being. So that's the first characteristic that we can learn from Jesus that Paul teaches us in Philippians 2 that is directly related the Christmas season. The second characteristic is sacrificial. I mean, this whole story in the Gospels about Jesus coming is for a purpose. And, and as I've been reading the Gospel of Luke, it's, you see it over and over again, is that Jesus has this desire to have relationship with human beings. Right? I mean, you see it over and over again. Everything that Jesus is doing, he's constantly trying to, to, to invite people into experiencing the goodness of his kingdom, he's constantly inviting people to experience the abundant life that life in the Spirit brings. And you see it over and over again. So much so that Jesus gets to the point where he's willing to sacrifice his own life so that we could have peace with God. And so everything about Jesus is sacrificial. And this is what Paul says. He says, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. He died a criminal's death on a cross. that's another aspect of Jesus' life, the choices that he makes that I think is really inspiring and should significantly impact us because not only does Jesus choose to be born in in a very humble environment, but Jesus chooses to die in an excruciatingly painful way. I mean, the cross is, we have, we are almost unable to understand the terror of the cross because we have, I think, neutered it in many of its ways, but when I was, in seminary, I'll never forget this one class I had on the atonement, on the, the, the work of the cross. And we had this guest lecturer who had done a bunch of archaeological evidence, uh, studies. And, and he came and he talked about how what we what we see in, for instance, the movie The Passion is like a really a really watered-down version of how terrible it was for Jesus to be crucified. And so when we think about Jesus' death as a criminal, I mean, it's like, he could have died a, a lot of different ways, but Jesus chooses to die the most excruciatingly brutal form of, of punishment in the first century. It was so it was so terrible that Roman citizens could not be crucified; only non-Roman citizens could be crucified in the ancient world because it was so brutal. And so, these two characteristics, humility and sacrificial service, these undergo the very essence of the gospel and the story of christmas it's it's right there in every aspect of the story of jesus and so we started out this series last week talking about how we want to spend some time thinking about the birth of jesus and we also want to think about how the birth of jesus is also pointing to this idea of birth and community because everything that jesus did ultimately ultimately was supposed to be a blessing for all the nations and Many of the pronouns that get used around the story of Jesus' birth are us, they, and them. Because Jesus is constantly wanting to be inclusive to all different peoples and inviting all people to experience his kingdom. So let's take a minute here and think about that. I mean, think about the type of, of, of culture that we're curating in society. I mean, I think about this idea of, of curating... A, a lot. I think it's safe to say that if we just think about the world around us and what the world is curating, if we're just honest for a minute, we have to obviously observe that, that society and culture is curating narcissism, selfishness, self-centeredness, and a, a lot of our own, our own focus in everything. I mean, that's one of the challenges I think we have to at least confront with social media. Right? I mean, social media is always asking us, what is on your mind? And what do you think? And what do you feel? And I'm not trying to say that social media is necessarily bad, but you get my point, right? Like, society is constantly reminding you that you are the center of the universe. Right? And so all we do is we, we, are, we have society shaping us and forming us to think that we, we matter more than we, we could ever imagine. And everything's about us. And I think that's having some negative effects in society. In fact, a number of years ago, there was this really great book that came out called Generation Me. Anybody ever read that book, Generation Me? Fantastic. written by a sociologist and an anthropologist. Just watching American society at large and how Gen Xers, Millennials, and Gen Z both are becoming so focused on ourselves. Really fascinating book. And overall... You walk away seeing how we have become so focused on ourselves and less focused on on other people. So what does Jesus have to do with this? Jesus models something completely different, doesn't he? And the kingdom of God is actually wanting to curate us to be outward focused and less and less selfish. So Jesus models humility and he immodel, he models humility in a way that we should all embrace that same that same way of living, where we place other people's needs ahead of ourselves. Now, verse five, this is what we read. We read in the New Living Translation where Paul writes, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, okay? The Greek literally says, have the mind of Christ. And then it goes on to explain what that means. But it's talking about the way that we think. We have to think in the same way that Jesus did. We have to think like Jesus. We have to take the time to discern and reason in a way that is oriented towards love, humility, and sacrificial service. That's the type of community that Jesus is calling us to have. So what kind of a community is the kingdom of God birthing? I think that we see that it's a humble and sacrificial community that follows the leadership of Jesus, and we think like He did. The wonder of Jesus, if we think about the wonder, the wonder of Jesus should also be displayed in the wonder of the church. The church is called to be a representation of Jesus, amen? When people look at the church, they should see Jesus, right? Let's say that again. When people look at the church, they should see Jesus. They should see a community that is is living just like Jesus did. So we're supposed to be, I think, the most humble and sacrificial community on the earth. And that's hard, isn't it? Very hard. But that's the calling that we have is to embrace humility and sacrificial living. Let's stand up together. I'm gonna invite the, the band to come up and join me. And we're gonna we're gonna actually end by receiving communion this morning. And and here's why I think this is a good place for us to land, is because the Eucharist the the Lord's Supper, and we'll give everybody an opportunity to come forward and receive in a minute here. But this meal is actually rooted in the sacrificial nature of Jesus, right? What are we remembering when we receive communion? Anybody know? The death of Jesus, the shed blood, the broken body, the, the sacrificial nature of Jesus, right? That's what we're we're remembering and we are experiencing God's presence through the bread and the cup as a reminder of those things and as a way to refresh ourselves. And I think in in other words too, we actually are gonna take a moment and recenter ourselves on the sacrificial nature of Jesus. And so if you're here for the first time and you're not sure whether or not you are welcome to receive communion with us, we would like you to know that we would welcome anybody that wants to follow Jesus. And so we're just gonna take a moment right now and if you have not yet received a packet, you can come forward right now and just come forward to either one of these tables and receive one of those packets. We want everybody to feel like they have an opportunity to respond to grace.